Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to our show tonight. This is Polygamy, What Love Is This? And I'm your host, Doris Hansen, and we are here on Thursday nights encouraging polygamists to step out and research and discover that polygamy really does not pave the way to heaven um, or get you into God's heaven in any way. And our co-host tonight is Earl Erskine. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. And you also did some checking and found out that the things that you were taught wasn't paving the way for you to get into heaven either. Right? I certainly did find that out. Quite surprised at what I've learned here. But it's yeah. a pleasant surprise, yeah, isn't it? It's a wonderful it's, surprise. It's yeah. wonderful surprise. And yeah. so we welcome all of our, our viewers to uh, watching tonight and and hope and pray that you do learn something and that you enjoy what we have planned for you. Last week was part one of a two-part show uh, entitled Lying for the Lord, and we were discussing the early Mormon polygamous practice of lying to protect themselves from the law. And tonight is part two of, of the Lying for the Lord discussion. Polygamy, of course, was the primary reason that the early Mormons lied in their effort to protect themselves from repercussions of breaking the laws against polygamy. Many of our quotes are taken from this book entitled Solemn Covenant and is written by B. Carmen Hardy. Uh, and Appendix 1 of this book is entitled Lying for the Lord. And it's, uh, it's an essay on much of what we talk about tonight. And many of our quotes are be going to be coming from that essay. It's a great book, lots of information. All the footnotes are there. So you can check out everything that is written there and also what we say and quote tonight. We began last week by bringing to the table historical information from Mormon history as well as the modern day polygamy group practice of twisting the truth and changing the facts. We also brought historical quotes that the mainline church keeps secrets from their membership, information that could negatively affect the reputation of Joseph Smith and other revered church leaders. The historical pattern of the Mormon church is to lie to preserve their image. Image seems to be more important than integrity and truth. They lie to protect the male leadership of Mormonism, and they still do. We had an off-the-air, before we get started, we had, had an off-the-air call last week right. that we were unable to get to. Yeah. And so we thought that we would share it with you tonight. And this is what the caller said. Yeah, very revealing. My LDS employer continually lies to workers and to customers. I would be blacklisted from finding another job, as other employees have been, if I were to speak out. Now, the caller didn't ask for, you know, didn't seem yeah. to ask for any encouragement right. or, or um, any counseling on this, but all but kind of just a, a notation Stating that... Stating the hypocrisy of... That's, yeah, yeah, thou shalt not lie, and yet right. they don't seem to think... And, of course, the foundation is lying. And, and of course, we can't judge any church itself by the actions of individuals like this particular uh, employer. But we can say that the foundation of an organization can influence the character of its members. Why do they think it's okay to lie? 
the foundation of Christianity is Jesus Christ, and he modeled absolute truth and openness. But the foundation of Mormonism is Joseph Smith, who practiced secrecy and who repeatedly lied to save his own skin, but in the end he was caught up in his own trap and it cost him his life. He was a person who admitted that he couldn't tell whether it was God or the devil who gave him revelations. In fact, that is such an important admission, we think that we'll quote it again. <laughs> yeah, we've, t we've given this one before. It was from David Whitmer, an address to all believers in Christ. Well, we were all in great trouble, and we asked Joseph how it was that he had received a revelation from the Lord for some brethren to go to Toronto and sell the copyright to the Book of Mormon, by mm -hmm. the way. Yeah. And the brethren had utterly failed in their undertaking. Joseph did not know how it was, so he inquired of the Lord about it. And behold, the following revelation came through the stone. Some revelations are of God, some revelations are of men, and some revelations are of the devil. <laughs> that right there should make anybody who follows Joseph Smith turn and go the other direction. There's no, there's no opportunity for error when your eternity is at stake. And we want those who embrace polygamy as earning their ticket to heaven to realize that the person who introduced polygamy into Mormonism, who made polygamy a religious requirement, is himself one who could not be trusted. Jesus can be trusted, but the person, the teachings, and the church that Joseph Smith founded are all based on deceit, false prophecies, and a dogma referred to as lying for the Lord. Unfortunately, the leaders of polygamy groups are not held under scrutiny as they should be. Like cowards, these polygamous leaders flee from any disclosures. They run into hiding and they tell their followers that the devil is after their leader and that God is testing them to see how faithful they will be in their test. This always is their excuse when they're caught breaking the law. Even Warren Jeffs continues to lie to his flock from prison, giving them a guilt trip that the only reason he's still in prison is because their faith is faulty. <laughs> Never mind that he raped little kids. Well, we're going to finish our topic of lying for the Lord tonight in preparing for the petition for Utah's statehood. Of course, there were difficult questions regarding polygamy that needed to be uh, dealt with. Utah Mormon political powers carefully crafted their answers purposely to deceive. Territorial delegate John T. Kane, who presented Utah's case, said polygamy was a dead issue. B. Carmen Hardy writes on page 369 what he said about that. He also said polygamy was a dead issue in Utah and that it would not be revived. Not all were happy with this approach. Speaking at a church meeting in Nephi, Utah, Apostle John W. Taylor branded Cain's statement on the death of polygamy a damned lie. If plural marriage were dead, he declared, the whole religion was dead. More importantly, Taylor devoted most of his reported remarks to the error of employing mistruth as a defense. Instead of prevarication, Taylor said, Mormon spokesmen should tell the truth and take the consequences. Good advice. Yeah. Good advice. Sounds right. But during this time, polygamy was alive and well and was being practiced in a very lively way in all of Mormondom, and yet they systematically lied about it 
if it was really God's command, why would they need to lie? I know. That's, that's a good question. Now, after the 1890 Manifesto, Mormons continued to enter into plural marriage, and they continued to deny that they entered into plural marriage. Even to this day, they lie about polygamy after the Manifesto. In 1903, a man by the name of Wiley Nebuchadnezzar of Afton, Wyoming, wrote a letter to Mormon apostle John Henry Smith. Nebuchadnezzar said he was troubled by the fact that although the church made official statements that plural marriages were no longer condoned, he frequently heard of men and women who continued to enter into polygamy. And we want to quote part of what he said. Now, this is from, again, Solemn Covenant, pages 370. To be plain, Nebuchadnezzar wrote, while I am fully converted to the belief that this is a true principle, I am not converted to the idea that the Lord justifies deceit and falsehood. Surely, he declared, if God wanted the practice carried on, it would be better to openly admit as such, as much, even if it brings persecution upon us, because then there can be no reproach. We will not be under the necessity of apologizing to our own consciences. Good advice. Yeah, good advice on this one. Good advice on the last one. But tragically, <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar's or Nebuchadnezzar <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar's concern for truth and honesty were never taken seriously by the leadership. And this is documented information. Yeah. The, the lying and the deceit took place without apology ever. There were and there have been no apologies by Mormons or polygamists or the LDS Church for their part in the lies and the deceit that characterized their early church. This begs the question, where are the consciences of these men and women who did and who do tenaciously hold on to false doctrine and justify themselves in lying and cheating? We believe the answer is found in the Bible, of course, where it tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. The Spirit clearly says that in latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. And so their consciences are seared shut. There, no, no light of truth can get in and no. nothing can get, they're just seared shut and so their consciences aren't working. Well, they rationalize the lying. And, Lots of yeah. rationalization yeah. we find in these quotes. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. And yeah. they do now. I know that when I was growing up, there's a ton of rationalization. <laughs> from page 371, uh, again, we have a quote from Hardy's book. Catherine C. Thomas, whose father, George Mosley Cannon, had married her mother as a polygamous wife in 1901, said she and her siblings were told not to ask their parents about their plural relationship. As a child, she was instructed to conceal from others the identity of her father, and as a first grader in Salt Lake City, she was required to attend school using a false name. Now this is exactly the conditions I was raised. Exactly. Precisely. And hundreds and hundreds of other polygamous children today and in the have past. Have to lie about their name. Have to lie about who they are. Lie about their father. Yeah, yeah I yeah. didn't have my father's name at all. And we couldn't call him dad. You know, we, we had a made up last name. We <laughs> didn't have the father's name at all. And that's exactly what's happening here. They're lying for the Lord. Yeah. And the polygamous groups continue the same tradition for decades and decades. But we continue with another quote from page 371. This is interesting. I, 
Anthony W. Ivan's son told of his dismay as a youngster when a church officer visiting with one of his plural families lectured one of his children on the need to give a false name when asked by others who she was. Another of Ivan's children, Florence, described how following a meeting with the fellow apostles in the First Presidency, her father seemed upset. When Florence asked her mother what the matter was, Mrs. Ivins confided to her that during the meeting, President Smith had said he would lie any day to save his brother. Ivins had always supposed deceit was shaken. Florence said that she believed her father troubled over President Smith's statement for the rest of his life. And that's the president of the church yeah. who advocated for a brother. The, the lying, right. Yeah. And, and of course, Ivan's obviously had <laughs> a conscience that yeah. wasn't seared shut. Right. Now, we, we should all be troubled over a religion and religious leadership that condones deceit in others and practice it themselves. They certainly cannot have been and cannot be led by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. But there's a lying spirit at work here. And this lying spirit has been at work in Mormon polygamy since before Emma discovered her husband tumbling in the, in the <laughs> barn with Fanny Alger. Early Mormon apostle Matthias F. Cowley provided another example of how flexible traditional Mormon values could be. And we quote from page 373. He also spoke of the practice of predating post-1890 plural marriages so as to make them appear to have occurred before the manifesto. I mention these things, he said, only to show the training I have had from those over me. He told the quorum, we have always been taught that when the brethren were in a tight place that it would not be amiss to lie to help them out. Then, in words remarkably close to those that troubled Anthony W. Ivins, Cowley said he had heard a member of the First President say, say that he would lie like hell to help the brethren. So we <laughs> see this repeated over and over again, yeah. the, the, the same idea that it's okay to lie to help somebody out of trouble. Remember last week we quoted where uh, I think it was uh, Kimball who said, that if he saw somebody committing a, a criminal offense, yeah, that he, he would, wouldn't report it. Right. He would he would keep it hidden. If it was going to harm the church. Or, he, right, yeah. yeah. And, and it's confusing, too, you know, for children. Uh, growing up under the moral law of the Ten Commandments, uh, teaching, which we were, grow we were raised taught under that law, yeah. and yet we're also taught and conditioned to lie for the Lord. You know, it's, it's terribly confusing. And, of course, God does have special warnings about the treatment of children because he has a special standing with him. And we read from Matthew 18. Yeah, verse 3, And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Children are innocent <laughs> yeah. and trusting, and we should be that way about God and His Word. Go into His Word trusting the Lord. And that's what He means. We become His children to, to uh, enter into His, his kingdom. Yeah. And now we see what He has to say about treatment of the children. Yeah, in verse 6, a couple of verses later, But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. And so, and, then, and they're teaching them to sin yeah. when they're teaching them to lie about their father, about polygamy, about all these things. Yeah. They're teaching them sin. So let, uh, we have another verse. Yeah, Matthew, Matthew 19, 14. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the 
kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. So teaching children to lie and teaching children how to lie and that God expects them to lie is hindering the children from knowing and living the truth. According to Jesus, that's a pretty dangerous place to be. Yeah, and this carries through into adulthood, apparently, right? I mean, Gener the moms, uh, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. moms have to agree to this. Oh, yes. Taking oh, yes. different names. And oh, yes. Can't be right. Exactly. And it goes generationally, too. You can see these quotes are, yeah. are from, from way around the manifesto time where they were doing it then, and they're still doing it today. Yeah. So that's a dangerous place to be, to teach children how to lie. And uh, we have another quote from Solemn Covenant, page 373 about this. Church authorities from the time of the prophet Joseph Smith onward place great stress on the need for following the brethren, because men and women were thought not able always to see as far and as clearly as their leaders. Church members were told that when confronted with doubt or difference, they should subordinate their judgment to that of priesthood superiors. <laughs> Now, of course, that priesthood superior, yeah, that's not from the Bible, that's for sure. And, of course, that puts a red flag in front of me every time. There's no such thing as priesthood superiors. What did Jesus have to say about spiritual authority and superiority uh, over others? He's got a lot to say about it. Yeah, Matthew 20. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So according to Jesus, there's no valid priesthood and there's certainly no valid spiritual superiority or authority over other people. In fact, that person who thinks he's superior needs to be acting like he's your servant, That's right. not lording it over you. Jesus alone is our superior and our authority. All human beings are on the same level ground with each other male or female or blacks or whites or whatever or whomever, we're all on the same level ground before God. Now this follow the brethren dogma, of course, holds true to polygamy groups. The member is not to question the leaders. We must ask a question that we've asked so many times in the past, but we have never received an answer. Why does the membership hold their leadership to a lower standard than the leadership expects from the members? As both the LDS and polygamy groups teach, when a decision is made, the thinking's been done for you. Don't question your leaders. Trust them and follow them with blind faith because God will never allow them to lead the people astray. Now this, of course, is another example of lying for the Lord. The leaders keep secrets from their faithful followers, which is in direct opposition to what Jesus taught. They continue to deny historical facts and events. Leaders have lied and have led the people astray. And what did Jesus say about the blind leading the blind? Yeah, leave them. They are blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into the pit. <laughs> now notice Jesus said, leave them. Leave them. You left them. 
Yes, I did. I left them. Many people that we know, many people who watch the show, has left them because they can see that they're blind guides and they've been following the blind. And they have found the truth in Jesus Christ alone and not in a church. So leave them. Another example of how this worked in Joseph Smith's experience, we quote from page 374. It's an interesting book, isn't it? Yes, it is. Very the good. prophet Joseph Smith provided an example when, after being refused, he attempted to persuade Nancy Rigdon to become his plural wife. That which is wrong under one circumstance may be, and often is, right under another. Whatever God requires is right, no matter what it is, although we may not see the reason thereof till long after the events transpire, but in obedience there is joy and peace unspotted. Okay, <laughs> we could spend a whole show on this yeah, quote. Yeah. You know, Joseph Smith, first of all, he lied about God in this quote. And today we would call this situational ethics. Yeah, yeah. But God does not condone lying for any circumstance, under any conditions. And Joseph Smith said, there's joy and peace unspotted in obey obedience to this. And polygamy never Doesn't produces like joy it. and peace. I don't know how he could say that with a straight face. Maybe he didn't. But anyway, on page 374, Hardy continues. Well, he, it may have been for him, but not for everybody else. That's, and the well, women. That's, <laughs> he didn't have a lot of peace either. I mean, he yeah. did a lot of running from the law. That's true. At one, as one Mormon explained in accounting for his polygamous father's forthright practice of the doctrine, you don't question things. If the church says it, you don't say yes or no. You go along. Adherence that is willingly blind necessarily relegates truth to a lesser order of priority. To a lesser order of priority. <laughs> truth is relegated to a lesser order of priority. That's awful. Isn't that horrible? Yeah. That's uh, compartmentalizing, it, rationalizing, doing something. Huh? The, the Bible says something in the latter times that truth is going to be trampled on the ground. You know what? Truth matters. It matters very, very much. So we need to make sure that truth <laughs> is not relegated to a lesser order of priority in what we do. And justification for lying to the government is found in this next quote from page 374. And I'm telling you, the polygamists love to lie to the government. That's part of their... I'll bet and, and yeah. had to do that. Henry S. Tanner explained it best. The promises made by the Mormons to the government were extracted by force. I, I thought that was interesting. Extracted by force. <laughs> so, under such circumstances, the words had no binding power. Consequently, the Mormons were as free as if they had made no promises at all. <laughs> so if you said something under duress, yeah. then it, wasn't, it wasn't uh, didn't binding. have any binding right. power. They, they don't know God, that's for sure, because that is not the way God sees things. Blaming others for their sin of lying for the Lord may be acceptable to the Mormon religion, but it is not acceptable to true Christianity and certainly not to God. And we do want to quote something that Heber J. Grant said regarding the trickery of Mormons lying for the Lord. Now, by the way, we need to say this, the word, the term, lying for the Lord, is their term. It's not God's command, that That's is for right. sure. <laughs> Good to point that out. Okay. When Heber J. Grant astonished Judge John W. Judd by telling him that he did not intend to observe the laws prohibiting polygamous cohabitation, Judd asked about Grant's signed promise that if given amnesty, he would keep such laws. The apostle was reported to answer that that made no difference because every man who signed had to make his election of the force of his signature. 
This was close to the thrust of Apostle John Henry Smith's re alleged remark that the Woodruff Manifesto was but a trick to beat the devil at his own game. The government. That's right. And, and we, we mentioned last week and quoted uh, that the manifesto indeed had been just that. that yeah. it, it was not And they didn't adhere intended. to it for many years after. That's yeah. right. Uh, of course, Heber J. Grant later became president of the Mormon Church, and here he admits that he had no intention of observing the laws against polygamy. Now he's pres he becomes the president. He's in line. He's a pretty important person here. Even after he received amnesty for promising to give up polygamy, he admitted he never had any intention of keeping his word. It's kind of like cross your fingers behind <laughs> yeah. your back and, and, and lie, and that's okay because you crossed your fingers. Last week we mentioned that there are different words that they use. Mm -hmm, Is that words. part of it? So that if somebody it didn't ask him about polygamy, he could think, well, I'm talking about the new and everlasting covenant or something. Yeah, if they use the word Just, polygamy instead of the principle. Yeah, or had to use the right word in order for him to be And that justified lying. their lying about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. They that did that too. Yeah. Now, and of course the manifesto, as we quoted, made many quotes this week and last week, was merely a smokescreen. Uh, Mormon polygamy did not stop until after 1904 when they decided that it was to their best economic and political interests to place polygamy on the back burner. Another example of living a lie for the Lord. Now, the integrity of the early Mormons was doubted by all of the United States of America. And we read, unquote, from page 376. And this invited charges of hypocritical behavior. After the turn of the century, outsiders more than once observed that Mormon leaders consistently stood for honest policies, so long as their own affairs were not involved. As one expressed it, when any of us sin, we sin for our own sakes. But when a saint crossed the line, it was done for Christ's sake. Isn't that awful? <laughs> yeah, that is really... Their reputation, then, was one of honesty as long as it didn't involve their own Mormonism. But if it got personal, they lied about themselves and blamed it on God. A recent example of this attitude we gathered from an online newspaper article from dailymail.co.uk reporting on the FLDS and their revered prophet, Warren Jeffs. We quote from that article. Doran Jessup, a member of the FLDS and, and the Hilldale City Council, said Jeffs is in prison for advocating the principles of Christ. Asked about the sexual assault convictions, he said if Jeffs have, has done anything like that, it was directed toward the Lord. Blasphemy. Isn't that horrible? They blame Jesus for Warren Jeff's sexual assault on little girls. Where in all the Bible, where even in Mormon writings, yeah. does it say that Jesus said to take and rape 12 and 14 year old girls in polygamist relationships? How dare they say it's for the sake of Christ? Mm. Yet that's precisely what Joseph Smith did and other early Mormon polygamists claimed they were doing. Joseph Smith took two 14-year-old plural gir girls as plural wives. He coerced them into it too. In those early days, the Salt Lake Tribune sometimes ferociously came out against those who were lying about polygamy. We want to quote from one of their articles. 
Much of the Salt Lake Tribune's ferocity in these years was fueled by disgust that Mormon leaders would, while claiming their church to be the Lord's special vessel of truth, so frequently corrupt it. In 1899, the Tribune sarcastically reported comments by a local bishop to the effect that it may be necessary to distort facts to get Brigham H. Roberts elected to Congress. This was justified not only because the full truth could be told later, but because the hand of the Lord was in it all. <laughs> Again, they're blaming the Lord for their deceit. You have to distort the facts. <laughs> yeah, the Lord says distort the facts. No way. They believe that the hand of the Lord is in their lies and deceit and in their church. They are delusional, I'm here to tell you. Before Utah could become a state of the union, it was required that polygamy be completely banned and put in writing as being unlawful. Now, B.H. Roberts was um, a very well-respected LDS historian, and he was a member also of the First Council of the Seventy from 1888 to 1933. Regarding the Mormon claims to have eradicated polygamy, we quote, Mr. B. H. Roberts said, technically, a law against cohabitation with plural wives crept into our statute books. That law has not been executed and it has not been enforced. See the Salt Lake Herald, November 6, 1898. All this is, of course, in effect admitting that both the pretended constitutional and the legal prohibition of polygamy were a mere farce to deceive the nation and secure statehood for Utah, or, to use Brigham Young's elegant phrases, the purpose of their adoption was simply to pull the wool over the eyes of the American people and make them swallow Mormonism, polygamy and all. There you go. That kind of sums it up. Yeah. Basically, we see this shove it down their throats, whether well, they like it or not. Well, and you know, we're talking polygamy, but there's lying that's been going on about the first vision accounts, mm -hmm. the Book of Mormon, mm -hmm. now the Book of Abraham. Mm -hmm. So this just persists. It, it continues. Mm -hmm. Things that just, they're just not telling the truth. The gold plates, how the plates were translated. That's using true. that word loosely. Yeah. Um, this and we did Zelf. We did a show on Zelf, you know, and yeah. and how that was a, a big farce. The Kinderhook plates. The Kinderhook plates. All those things. It's all just lie after lie after lie. And justifying it in the sense that it shows a negative light on the prophet. And, and one particular person said uh, that he knew, and he was in in an important position. And he said he knew that Mormonism was wrong, but the people needed him, so they would continue with it. Oh. <laughs> there you go. That's from the leadership. I'm, you know, uh, we wonder now. Back to this, we wonder if there was any other state in the United States of America that used so much deceit and subterfuge in order to become accepted as a state I in the union. Doubt it. <laughs> I, I doubt it too. Now, Mormon President John Taylor claimed to have had a vision in 1886 while he was hiding from the U.S. Marshals because of his own polygamy. Now, his vision supposedly commissioned certain people to keep plural marriage alive. And the polygamy groups of today use that alleged vision as their authority to continue to break the laws of the land and of God and live polygamy. Now, it doesn't matter how they did it, they believed God's will must be done at all costs. But God's will isn't polygamy. They haven't checked that part of it out. 
we want to quote from another girl who was raised in polygamy. Dorothy Allred Solomon, recalling her upbringing in a prominent fundamentalist home, summarized, Although we were reared to treasure truth, our way of life was filled with secrets. The resort to distortion, what was referred to as Mormon logic, rested uncomfortably on every aspect of their existence. She remembered that this was justified by her father, a fundamentalist leader, with the aphorism, we must sometimes disobey a lesser law to keep a higher one. There's again another false more, remark. More rationalization. Taking yeah. truth and putting into a lesser, uh, a lesser importance. A lesser law. Now they they call this the higher law. The polygamists always call polygamy a higher law. It's supposed to be higher than about anything, and that's what they're referring to here on the higher law. But when questioned about the greatest law, Jesus did not say it was polygamy. From Matthew 22, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. There's no, no command in there to no live polygamy. About polygamy. Nope. And there isn't even a command in there to love your church. There's no greater and no higher law than these two laws, loving God and loving each other. There is no higher law of polygamy. And so we ask the question, polygamy, what love is this? It's not the love of God, nor is it the law of God. Would God command Joseph Smith to secretly take his wife's friends and, follow me and fellow members of, in the, the Nauvoo Relief Society as his own plural wives? Could it be proper or godly for him to publicly deny such behavior and privately practice it? Would a true prophet ever secretly take other men's wives because of his position, stating that, that he was either testing the faith of their husbands or offering these women a greater exaltation because of his own position of authority? Joseph Smith would be thrown in prison for that today. The Mormon publication Millennial Star admitted that it was a great transgression for anyone to take plural wives before the 1843 revelation, and we quote. The Latter-day Saints, from the rise of the church in 1830 till the year 1843, had no authority to marry more than one wife each. To, to have done otherwise would have been a great transgression. Before 1843, and almost all of Joseph Smith's wives he took before 1843. And here we say, he, they're, they're admitting it's a great transgression. Of course, at that time, Joseph's plural marriages were known to only a few yeah. of Insiders. the top Mormons. Yeah. yeah. In fact, it wasn't until LDS uh, historian Andrew Jensen began digging into church archives in uh, 18, the 1880s that the names and the dates of Joseph Smith's polygamy began to be established. Few Mormons really know the depth of Smith's polygamist activities, then or now, um, or that he took uh, some of his plural wives many years before his r revelation. Now, we don't accuse them or the polygamy groups of being the only organizations with a past and present history of gross error, but they always claimed that they are the only kingdom of God, and they all promise that they will never lead the people astray. Many religions have made some huge mistakes in their past, but they have later admitted them and 
turned away from them and issued blanket apologies for those sins. Sadly, with Mormonism, they place the blame for their ungodly activities on God Himself, and they like, did it at the beginning, and they still do it. They still do it. I see it all the time. Yeah, I yeah. see it all the time. How can they blame God? It's for His sake. Well, we are going to open up the telephones right now. Um, our telephone number is 801-973-8820. We would love to hear from our viewers if you want to give us a call and talk about maybe some experiences you've had, whether you're from a polygamy group or the LDS church or not. Uh, it doesn't matter as long as, as uh, <laughs> you don't yell at us and, and that you allow a two-way dialogue when you call. Um, we would love to hear from you. So as we wait for the calls to come in, uh, we do have our mid-show break to show. Uh, message to show. You are watching Polygamy, What Love Is This? Broadcasting live from Salt Lake City, Utah. This program is the broadcast outreach of A Shield and Refuge Ministry. Shield and Refuge is a point of first contact for Mormon fundamentalists who question the doctrines of the religion or who are actively seeking for an opportunity to escape the polygamist lifestyle. Examining the claims of fundamentalist doctrine against the backdrop of biblical truth is central to our efforts. We invite you to contact us. Call toll-free at 877-425-9993 or email us at tv at We've made available to you some outstanding resources free of charge. You will find them at our website, www.whatloveisthis.tv. While you are at our website, make sure to take advantage of the archived episodes of this program, which can stream on demand directly to your computer. And if someone you know is unable to view this program via live broadcast, recommend that they visit this same website every Thursday at 8 p.m. Mountain Time to watch this show through live streaming video. If you are watching live tonight, we invite you to call us as we open our phone lines. The number is 801-973-TV20. That's 801-973-8820. Now, back to Polygamy, What Love Is This? with our host, Doris Hansen. Welcome back to our show, Polygamy, What Love Is This? with our co-host, Earl Erskine. Thanks. We have been talking about lying for the Lord, which is a, a policy that the early Mormon church embraced and practiced, and also the, the current modern-day polygamy groups do the same. Um, we, this is part two. We did part one last week and part two this week. We actually could have done parts three and four, but Possibly. we limited it to two parts. Uh, but it gives a good idea. It's a good selection of some of the things that went on in the early Mormon church, the foundation, actually, of, the, of what Mormonism is all about. And you know, there are hundreds of people out there um, in, in our area, in our culture, who have fled, who have run away and escaped and, uh, from polygamy. And they won't talk. They, they don't want to talk about it. Some of them are afraid. They live in fear. I did it. I lived in fears about talking about it for years after I left, so I know exactly what they're experiencing. But some of them say, oh, I don't want to bother them. It's just live and let live is my policy. But I have to ask a question. Why should we live and let live when they are living outside the law? We have to obey the law. Yeah. Why should we let them live outside the law like that? That's been going on now since 18... 
32 or whatever, living outside the law, and they're getting by with it. We'd like to encourage the women in polygamy. Uh, you don't have to do this. You do not have to be treated this way. God never commanded polygamy. You'll not find it in the Bible. God wants you to be a monogamist. He wants you to have an exclusive husband all to yourself, one who, who will love you as an equal with himself in every way. A man who will treat you with the respect that you deserve and treasure you for who you are as his one and only wife. A man, a husband who is honest and trustworthy all the time. So if, you, if there's anyone out there, if you're questioning or doubting, give us a call. We'd love to help you. We'd love to answer some questions, meet with you personally, privately, confidentially. We would love to help you through some of these questions. And I know that women in polygamy have a ton of questions. Okay. And don't they actually, and you actually were taught that this is the way to salvation. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. I don't know where Jesus fits into all of that, but you had to live polygamy in order to return back to God, right? We had to live polygamy in order to get to heaven, yeah. absolutely, yeah. yes. And, and we had to live polygamy to keep from going to hell to keep from oh. becoming a son of perdition. Okay. So, you know, there's the, the threat this way and the threat this way as well. It wow. was a requirement. It was an essential. The early Mormons taught that. Yeah. They deny that they taught that, but they did. Yeah. They did teach it. So it it, it's just carried forward. It certainly is. Our telephone lines are open. The number is 801-973-8820. And it looks like we have a caller on line three, Scott from Salt Lake City. Hello, Scott. I relocated from the northeast part of the United States to study the ministry here in Salt Lake City. Uh, after great study, I decided that this was the best place for me because it was offered through the Episcopal Church. In, in my life here so far, the past two to three years, I've developed friendships uh, that I thought were friendships with members of the Mormon Church, only to find out that eventually I, and this has happened to me twice, that I've been shunned. Uh, it has left me confused and saddened, and I just need to know, what is the origin of such actions? You want me to tackle that Go one? Go ahead. You know, it's interesting, and I can't speak for probably the few people you've run into, but uh, sometimes with Mormons, they're looking to, have, to find converts. Uh, very busy in their life. They, if they feel like you're interested in joining the church, you'll get all kinds of attention. And, uh, but as soon as you kind of in, indicate that you have another belief or that you're not interested in following up with the missionaries or with learning more about their religion, there's a, it's just an automatic kind of a turnoff that uh, they'll begin, I wouldn't say shunning you, but they will not include you normally. I mean, they're different people and they act differently toward different people, of mm -hmm. course, but... No, it's literally been a shunning because in, in asking one of the uh, members that, you know, we go out for a movie and dinner and uh, emailed me and said, I can no longer meet with you. And I emailed and I said, well, why is this so? Well, apparently, now clarify this for me, apparently when a member of the Mormon Church is interviewed for a temple recommend, one of the questions is, this is what was told me. Do you associate with anyone that has contrary beliefs to that of the Mormon Church? And so they've answered, well, yes, I have a friend that is studying ministry with the Episcopalian Church, and they've been advised to, well, then you need, this, you need to disengage from that friendship. Well, uh, 
Yeah, I, I suppose that happens. I mean, we all have friends in Salt Lake, probably, that, who aren't members of the church. And the question more is along the lines of affiliate and support people who have doctrines not approved by the church. I don't think a normal friendship is usually would usually qualify for that to answer that question in the negative. So, but it, it, there is a prevailing, uh, uh, I don't know, they do, they just they don't want your children to be interact because they're afraid that their children will marry outside of the temple. You have to really, yeah. Well, they, and they might learn some doctrine that would cause yeah, them to question, and you just question. can't question the church. But we, as members of the church, were very protective of our children. We wanted them to to date only m members of the church, so that we would be more guaranteed that they would be uh, married in the temple, and and they wouldn't. Uh, Mary outside the okay. church. So there's that okay. too. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate yeah. your honesty and frankness, and uh, <laughs> that helps me understand this a little bit better. So thank you again. You bet. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for calling. You know, that's so sad, and we've done shows on shunning yeah. um, and how horrible the polygamy groups were horrible with shunning. Absolutely terrible. Oh, I can imagine that uh, would be. And they don't let anyone in, do they, that they, would. No, they, yeah. you just, and if you leave um, the, the polygamy group, they shun you. Your family, everybody shuns you. And mm -hmm. if the family still wants to have um, communication with you, they've got to do it on the sly, on the you know. And some of them, some of them do, some of them don't. Mm -hmm. Some some polygamy groups are worse than others in mm -hmm. that regard as well. But it's still very debilitating for the person who's leaving, yeah. and it's well, sad. you know, that, what I said was pretty generally yes. general comment, and I realize there's very specific situations and some very good people who do reach out continually. Yes. But the back the backdrop of it all is that the church is the only true church. And if you're not inside that, you're outside, mm -hmm. and you're not. And to to be influenced by that person is a negative. Is a negative. Yeah. It's not good. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, we have a kind of a sad story. Um, oh gosh. <laughs> that we thought we would share with you that shows how uh, it continued on with their lying about polygamy. A man by the name of Frank S. Johnson. He was a recent convert to Mormonism in 1899, <laughs> and he made the following statement about his conversion to Mormonism. To the public, my home is in Vicksville, Southampton County, Virginia. I'm 38 years old and have a family of six children. My sister-in-law died after the death of her husband and left five children to my care. George Whittle and Henry Taggart, Mormon missionaries, came to my home early in December 1899. There were six other missionaries coming often to my house and remaining several days at a time. They said polygamy had been done away with, that no one was living in polygamy, nor had, had been for a great many years. They told us we could not live our religion in Virginia, but ought to come to the mountains. They said the saints here in Utah were a pure people, no such wickedness as in the states. They represented Utah as a paradise. They wanted us to come to the temple and be sealed to each other as husband and wife and children. So the missionaries wanted Frank Johnson to sell everything he owned and move his family to Utah. Well, he did. He sold as much as he needed uh, to get enough money to go to Utah and also to return again if he needed to come back. But the missionaries didn't want him to take enough money for his return. They just wanted him to go. And they said he'd like it there. So he moved his family to Preston, Idaho. Well, when he arrived, he visited the mother of one of those missionaries. And we quote what he soon discovered. 
I called at Mrs. Whittle's and learned that her daughter, sister of, sister of our missionary, was living in polygamy. I also learned from the Mormons that the sister of Elder Taggart was a polygamous wife. These facts startled me, as both of the missionaries declared to us again and again that no one had been in polygamy for a long time. Polygamy was a thing of the past. If they had told me the truth, I would not have come to Utah, nor would I have sacrificed my property to come. <laughs> Poor. Oh, isn't that sad? Yeah. Th this is one of dozens of oh, stories and, and during those times. I've read some sad, sad things. But he told about the time that he heard uh, LDS President Snow speak, the one who's supposed to be the mouthpiece of God, the prophet, the seer, and the revelator. And he said that he was very anxious to hear some good teaching, something that would be helpful for him spiritually. But he said he, it wasn't to be. He was disappointed in that as well and his, his comments. But to my surprise, he talked all the time about tithing. They must pay up. It was money, money, money all the time. No gospel at all. Nothing about the love of God. Nothing about our Savior whom I loved. I was sick and disheartened. I could neither sleep nor eat. The saints wanted me to come to all their meetings, but I could not. The missionaries had deceived me. Instead of a paradise, I found the saints swearing, living in polygamy, and the young people were vile beyond description. Instead of prayer meeting, they had a dance. Instead of the gospel of love, they preached money. I went out and lay down in the fields, crying to God for help to get away, back to my home again. Well, after a time, he was finally able to go back home after his deep disappointment of discovering that he had been lied to by the Mormon missionaries. They had lied to him. They had led him astray. He wanted others to beware of this trap. And he concludes his story like this. I thank God that he has made it possible for me to go back home. I will warn all my neighbors against the falsehoods and deceptions of the Mormon missionaries. I make these statements to warn all people against the Mormon deceivers. It is the worst thing I ever heard of. Now, this man was converted in 1899. Nine years after the manifesto. Nine years after the manifesto. Yeah. More historical information that the manifesto was a mere sham to deceive the American people yeah. um, and that they continued to practice polygamy and to lie about it, even to new converts. Okay, we have, um, again, on line three, Mark calling from Salt Lake City. Hello, Mark. Yes, I just wanted to make two points. I thought you, I thought you said that B.H. Roberts was in, in the uh, apostleship. I'm sure he was just a 70. And are you aware that he wrote a book or a pamphlet uh, having grave problems with the Book of Mormon, yes. and I'd like to hear your comments off the yes. air. Yes, he, he did. I, do, I don't believe I said he was an apostle. No, Mar um, Mark, uh, she did say that, uh, Dora said that he was a 70. He was in yeah. the 70s, yeah. right. And yes, B.H. Robert did write a book questioning the Book of Mormon. He um, he had a lot of problems and questions, and he went went to the authorities and asked them, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't answer. They yeah. couldn't answer his questions. That book had a lot of influence on me when I was researching things mm -hmm. because he, he had been posed questions about five different areas about silk and horses and mm -hmm. um, the language, linguistics and archaeology and, and so on and, and he couldn't answer them and he, like you say, posed these questions then back to the brethren and said, what are we going to do? Should we remain silent? Yeah. What, what, are, what is our youth going to think? 
-hmm. when we can't answer these questions. And of course, the archaeology and nothing's ever been supported since. He didn't right. even know about DNA. That right, would probably right. have blown him right out of the water. But mm, right, know. and and of course, DNA now have proves that plus so much other information that's come forward proves that the Book of Mormon is an absolute fraud. There, it's. I mean, there's not even a question about it. The Smithsonian says that there is no information at all anywhere in the world that backs the Book of Mormon. Um, mm. It's just the National Ge Geographic. I mean, they, they all agree that there's nothing there. There's no historical, uh, archaeological, no biological, no evidence whatsoever to prove that the Book of Mormon uh, is at all historical or at all true. We have, um, I, I, I just want to say, we have an email, maybe we can get to that real quickly, but I just wanted to say something. Why do we go back in history so much on the show? Uh, what has some history got to do with the purpose of our show? Well, it's because Jesus gave us these warnings. Number one, to watch out for false prophets, to watch out for wolves in sheep's clothing, to watch out for false Christ, and watch out for false doctrine, and watch out for a false foundation. The root produces the fruit, Jesus said. A bad, lying, deceitful, chameleon, secretive fruit root produces the same fruit. And the foundation of Mormonism is built on secrets and lies. It, it therefore cannot be Jesus' true church or the only true church. Polygamy is against God's law and has always been against His law. And it's a violation of civil law. Therefore, it cannot be God's will. All the Mormon offshoots are built upon the same foundation. Joseph Smith, who was a liar, a deceiver, an adulterer, a polygamist with 34 wives, and one-third of those wives were other men's wives. That's why we go back into history, because it's a shaky foundation. Yeah. Did you ever hear this quote of... Uh Boyd K. Packer, he says, I have a hard time with historians because they idolize the truth. The truth is not uplifting. Oh my it destroys. Goodness. Historians should tell only that part of the truth that is inspiring and uplifting. Wow. That, there you go. The root produces the fruit. Yeah. It, it hasn't changed. And it the hasn't thinking changed. hasn't no. changed. Mm -hmm. My goodness. Well, why don't you share that email okay. that we get, uh, we get a lot of critics. We've got um, about a minute, so why don't we do that? <laughs> to get through this. <laughs> Contrary to what some people think, I think we should all have the right to criticize religions, especially when harm is done to human beings in religion, such as polygamy, violence and abuse of women, double standards, extremism, sexism, to name a few. It is our duty to criticize religions and people who do that and denounce the harm done to members or women, for example, in the name of religion. Are the opposite very Christ-like since Christ would reject and condemn any abuse done to human beings using Him to justify such practices. I think you are doing a great service to humankind and women in particular thanks to your show and I think you are being very Christian in denouncing the abuse or wrongs of some religion, religion's beliefs and practices. And if there are some good in some religions, then criticizing it is also lauding the good. So that's why we do criticize, because it does help people find the truth. And we are interested in truth. Truth matters. Jesus said truth matters. Thank yes, you. Do. Thank you very Thanks much. Thanks for having me. And, uh, you know, last Saturday was Valentine's Day. And it was, it, of course, is a day where sweethearts make it a point to express their love for each other. And on that day, I thought of polygamous and the name of our show, What Love Is This? Well, 
We want polygamists to know that God's love for them preempts polygamy. In fact, God's valentine to the whole world is found in John 3.16 where he describes his love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God's valentine to us is Jesus, not polygamy. And he didn't just say he loved us, he proved it. The Bible tells us that God demonstrates his own love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for the sins of those who think they're righteous. He died for sinners. In God's hatred of sin, he could have just walked away from all sinners and let us all perish. But he didn't. He poured out his love and grace instead. He offers forgiveness of sin, but only to those who will enter into his covenant of grace and not rely on religious works. Polygamy is not part of his covenant of grace. In polygamy, they teach that God's love is conditional. Family love is conditional based on obedience to their rules. The Bible teaches us that God is love. Polygamy is contrary to God's love, not his demonstration of it. So we encourage everyone to let go of everything you're now trusting and trust in Jesus Christ alone. That's the only way into God's forgiveness and into his heart. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.